Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. I've got three men joining me for this episode. We're looking forward to a good conversation. Um, these three men have several things in common. All three are OPC pastors. They are all in Southern California. Uh, I believe all were involved in OPC church planting. And interestingly, all were former Calvary Chapel pastors before coming into the Reformed world and OPC churches. And so I have with me, first of all, Jonathan Morsch, who is in San Clemente at Trinity Presbyterian Church. I have Jesse Purcell, who is in Temecula at Providence Presbyterian Church. And I have Chris Hartshorn, who is in Anaheim Hills at Anaheim Hills Presbyterian Church. Jonathan, any specific uh, examples or stories come to mind about helping sort of facilitate that contagious, welcoming aspect beyond a few leaders and beyond a few people to the, to the whole of the congregation. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've heard mentioned a couple of times that, you know, reformed churches can be labeled a cult. Right. And I, I remember hearing that. I think my wife might've mentioned that to me, like, we're not joining that cult. And, you know, you think about what, what makes a cult? Um, there's two ingredients. There's the heretical aspect. They have false teaching, whether denying the Trinity or something like that. But then there's a sociological aspect to a cult, where everyone part of the group, usually surrounded, uh, you know, um, being led by a charismatic leader, but everyone in the group is sort of brainwashed because their entire lives uh, is centered around this one group, right? So their only friends are part of the, that church or group. Um, their only interests are that. Um, you know, everything is is closed off. And obviously, you know, you look at the OPC, Reformed churches in general, um, you know, we have the truth. So we're not a cult in that sense. But I wonder if at times we may have that sociological element where, you know, all we talk about is theology and all we do is meet in, in uh, do church meetings. And the only people we associate with are people within the OPC and um, and so I think encouraging people to have interests outside of, of Scripture, outside of Christianity, um, you know, we affirm common grace, that you can find truth, goodness, and beauty in creation, and um, encouraging people to have other interests in life. And um, I think if you have that, you know, you're going to have a broad spectrum of, of people within the church that if any, any visitor coming... Um, you know, they're going to be able to have a, a meaningful conversation with visitors that isn't necessarily um, theological or, um, you know, just to be able to bridge that friendship. So, you know, we don't have any, uh, out, uh, you know, specific outreach things, especially now in the time of COVID, but just encouraging individuals in the church, whether it's, it's in their work or with their neighbors or in the other interests that they pursue in life to, um, to get them to realize that that's an opportunity for them to be able to get to know people as image bearers and then maybe invite them to church. So that's, that's kind of something that I, I think about 
as far as Trinity is concerned. Jonathan, if I can follow up there, suppose somebody in your church, longtime member says, you know, but those, those are the things that I'm excited about. Those are the things that I like talking about. I'm not a sports guy. I'm not this. I don't, you know, I don't go to the movies once a week. I'm not a big TV guy. I watch some British comedy, you know, type of thing. How would you encourage, would you encourage that person to expand their, their horizons a bit for the sake of the people that they may be meeting, neighbors, friends, coworkers, and how would you do it or why would you do it? Uh, yes, I would. Um, there's more, there's more to life than, um, than theological interests. Uh, I think I, I would suspect a person like that probably spends a lot of time on social media, um, on specific pages that are dedicated to specific theologians and, and maybe is in chat rooms talking about the latest, uh, theological fads and, you know, or controversies that are going on in the church and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just uh, for personal growth, but it's, it's a way of loving your neighbor. Um, I'm preaching through James right now, and James has that exhortation to be uh, slow to speak, quick to listen, and, and, and to be actually concerned about what other people say. You know, we, we do need, as, as Reformed Christians, we do need to be better listeners. We need to be characterized as those who, have, who, who are able to give attentive listening and not just immediately open our mouths and say, well, let me tell you the truth, brother. Right. So yeah, spend less time in, on social media and get outside, you know, enjoy creation, <laughs> go for a walk. We have hit, you, you each have mentioned certain, let's call them quirks of, of a, a possible welcome at a reformed church. And uh, a couple of the stories have been some sort of the extreme examples. They're very real examples and, and we've all maybe experienced them. I wonder if I could throw up sort of a jump ball question for whoever would like to jump in. Are, are there more middle range greetings, conversation starters that people might not even think would be off-putting to somebody that you've either thought about or you've experienced or you you hear people say or that type of thing that you could help listeners, maybe not in the Van Til Clark controversy, because most people will, will, will kind of recognize that's not a starter, but there may be other things that people bring up or the way they start relationships or conversations. Do any come to mind? And Jesse, you're, you're already kind of yeah. nodding. I mean, at and this is... Maybe it's because of the time that we're in at present, uh, but it's definitely fresh on my mind. I think just the built-in assumption, something that even Chris mentioned earlier, but specifically in this regard, the built-in assumption that people agree with your political views, that you're at a church that's biblically and confessionally conservative, therefore you must hold to this particular conservative ideal politically or this sort of you know view of masks or non-masks and i think again what jonathan was just saying hearing people before we you know unnecessarily become a one who's speaking in this one way manner with the assumption that there's got to be agreement on the other end and again oh those are kind of conversations i'm you know we're as friendships mature, I, I don't mind if people want to have, you know, theological or, or political debates and so forth. But if we're talking about reaching out and meeting people at church or getting to know visitors and so forth, I think assuming that there is a, a uniform set of societal and political beliefs uh, because we're a part of, you know, this denomination, uh, I think is a, is a dangerous thing and becomes off-putting. 
to people uh, unintentionally a lot of the times. I don't think people mean to do that, uh, but I think you can see even even generationally kind of the, the faces change when certain things are said because there's this idea that there is, again, uh, a shared set of beliefs across all of these spectrums, and we're there to confess Christ as Lord. I mean, that's our shared belief. And there's a whole lot of other things that are, uh, you know, not quite as first tier as that, that I think we often assume we're uniform in as well, and we're not. Any others? I, th- I think uh, just kind of along those same lines, I mean, I think that's important too, because I think that we, we I, I, I'm hoping that we have people coming to our churches that are of various political viewpoints. And uh, I mean, I hope we're not limited to a certain political viewpoint in our churches. And another one is, you know, when, uh, when a, a, a family walks in with young children and someone walks up and asks this question, which homeschool program do you use? Not do you homeschool, uh, but which one do you use, right? Right off the bat, first time you talk to the, oh, your kids are adorable, which homeschool program are you using? And I'm hoping that we um, are uh, churches that have people that either send their kids to public school for very for various reasons, right? Private school or homeschool. I mean, I hope we have that kind of bigger picture of what our churches are to be about, right? Preaching Christ and Him crucified, and then from there moving on to various grades of, of other things. And obviously, we could have all, all sorts of debates about uh, schooling and education. Um, but but I think it's really important that we don't whittle down the type of person that's allowed to come to our churches uh, from their first visit. I think that's, I, I just think it's wrong to do that and to have those sorts of assumptions. Any other mid-range uh, things that you could help the audience, things that they might not think are off-putting, but when you get in that, what Chris was talking about earlier, that receiver-oriented mode might be the thing the person was really hoping they wouldn't get asked or get pinned in on. One question that uh, I think I try to avoid, at least in the initial conversation, is uh, what church are you from? Um, Somebody walks in the doors, and if they're asked that question, well, maybe they've never been to church before. That would be great. Right. Um, but maybe maybe they're somewhat embarrassed of the church that they're from, and that's why they're checking out a different church. Um, maybe it's a sensitive question. They've had, uh, you know, they've they've had bad experiences in previous churches um, or, you know, they 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 feel like they might be judged, you know, for the answer that they give. Oh, you're oh, you're part of that denomination. Oh, oh, you're not you're not part of these five churches that, you know. So um, I, I wait until people, you know, I, I'm curious when people come in the door, um, what church they're from, if in fact they're, you know, they're, they're part of a church, but I wait for them to volunteer that on their own. Typically I ask, where are you visiting from? You know, whether it's out of state or local and, you know, I'm pleased to hear, you know, we're, we always love to receive visitors from all around, but I'm, I'm really happy when, when we get visitors who say, Oh, I'm from San Clemente, or oh, I'm from you know a, a, a town within driving distance, and then just wait for them, you know, uh, to to volunteer what church they're from, or maybe it's the second or third conversation. Um, you can you can bring that up. Good, thanks. We we've kind of maybe hit started to hit around this topic, but I want to 
make it a little more particular. Um, when I said that that I've heard a number of comments about all of your churches and all of the the re- reality that the congregations are welcoming, I've also been noted by various people that your churches seem to reach people who aren't typical for Reformed churches. They they seem to, to varying degrees, and you probably feel like you could do a lot more, but seem to have churches from what people are saying that that are, are reaching people who aren't typical in the Reformed world. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I, I know you've, you've already hit on some things that relate to that, but, but more specifically, do you have thoughts about how your church is doing that? Jonathan, I'll start with you. I think, first of all, it's just try not to be cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, again, I, I already talked about how we just, we cannot compete with the mega churches in our area, right? So, so what do we have to offer that's different than them? Well, the word, right? Um, and then, and then of, of course, uh, the way in which the word is manifested in our service. You know, you, you think of, uh, you know, the liturgy. And I think all three of us, we're, our churches are maybe on a, a bit of a spectrum as far as how the, how the liturgy plays out. Um, but definitely, we are night and day different than the churches you get at down the street. Um, where I I look, you know, I, I I don't spend a lot of time online looking at other churches' websites and stuff, but you see, especially with these um, these kind of new, cool, hip churches that are starting by young, good-looking people, uh, and and what you know, you look at the pictures on their website, and they're all within you know a ten to twenty-year age range, and you know the young millennial church or whatever. I'm I'm so pleased that at Trinity, uh, you know, ethnically we're we're not that diverse. I would I would love to see more ethnic diversity. But as far as age groups, uh, we have um, we have a number of young families. We welcome you know covenant children into the church on a regular basis, and we have members. We have one member who's going to be celebrating his 94th birthday next week, and um, actually a number of people in their 90s. So we have this great age age range of people and then people from all walks of life too. And I think, again, it boils down to why are they there? They're not there because they have, uh, because it's a cool hip scene. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to um, post something on Instagram later that day, like, Oh, look at the cool event that we had at church today. And it's, it's so Insta worthy. Um, No, it's, we're there because of the word and the worship is all centered around the word. And that's what's drawing us there. That's what we have in common, even though we have, you know, uh, our ages and interests are totally different in life. Chris, how about you? Thoughts or examples of reaching people particularly that represent the community you're in, but maybe don't represent the standard sort of whatever that means, standard sort of OPC form of a church? I think the the thing I start with just building on what, what Jonathan just said is he's saying don't you know, don't be, try to be cool. Uh, and you could, you could really take that as, as being, you know, don't try to be relevant. Right. And I remember years ago, even another Calvary thing that I heard, that was a lesson I learned in Calvary. Like, just don't, don't try to be cool. Don't try to keep up because you're always going to be embarrassingly like three or four steps behind. So it's ridiculous to try to do that as the church, you know, um, you're not going to be able to do that. And, um, if, if, you know, if Calvary was teaching that, you know, we're, we're behind, we're steps behind there. But I think as far as like relevance is concerned, I, I try to connect to people and say the word of God is the most relevant thing there is and, and try to connect 
normal people to the Word of God. And I, I, to me, I think, you know, Jonathan said that on several occasions, and I really do think that's, that's central for me. The Word of God, like over and over again, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, all the other stuff is, is to me secondary, but bringing people, connecting real people to God's Word is really what I'm trying to do. And I, I really want to connect ordinary people to God's, just ordinary people that you see on the streets, ordinary people that you see in the neighborhood, ordinary people that you see wherever, at a sporting event or on, on one of my kids' teams. I, I just want to connect them to God's word and and communicate to them that this is not in the way that the society or culture would say cool or relevant, but eternally relevant and significant. This is the thing that you need more than anything, you know, that everything else will ultimately let you down. Everything else that you build upon, anything and everything that, that can be shaken will be shaken, but God and his word never will. God is the rock. His word is uh, the standard that we build upon, that, that everything needs to be connected to the truth of God's word in in a world of lies and errors. And so for me, just talking to normal people about this being the most essential thing, the most important thing, that's what, that's what it's all about for me. And, you know, Jonathan again said earlier, connecting to a certain port, uh, sort of person that's already reformed, I, that's not necessarily what I'm trying to do. Like when we started our Bible study that became our church, I don't think there were any reformed people when we started. Like our core group was all non-reformed people, either people that were unchurched or non-reformed. And we basically started from scratch with teaching the standards to these people. And it's gone from there. Obviously, reformed people and churches or uh, families have come to our church. But that's never what I'm tr- I'm like not trying to just grab reformed people. I'm trying to talk to normal, ordinary people about the Bible, first and foremost, the gospel. And then to me... Reformed Christianity is the best expression of biblical Christianity. I, I, I mean, I try to say that like, Reformed Christianity is biblical Christianity. That's my, that's my conviction. That's why I am in the OPC. That's why where I am, why I am where I am, because I've been convinced of that over the last 10, 12 years before I even went to seminary. You know, this is the most biblical expression of Christianity. What we see in the Reformed churches. And while it does take some getting used to for, for folks, and um, it does take a lot of teaching over time to kind of help them with the elements of our worship and maybe explaining one or two per week or one per week it, during the service, this is why we do what we're doing here. You know, we had a comment recently, a visitor came and with someone and went away and said, well, that was all very uh, Roman Catholic. And uh, so, you know, there's some instruction that, that needs to go on there, but um, but we can do that over time, right? As they continue to come and, and continue to learn and, and, and sit with us as we study the word of God. Jesse, in your uh, context, I know you've got a fair bit of liturgy. You've got people coming who aren't saying, hey, like if I don't get the regular principle of worship, I'm not coming. So how do you bridge that gap in something that seems particularly foreign to people, particularly those that you know, just aren't, aren't like us? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great question and one that we have to deal with quite often. I mean, you know, all of us are in Southern California, not known for its traditionalism, uh, nor its its formality. And so we knew at the outset, you know, we had decided that uh, as a session that we were going to move in a more liturgical direction, um, you know, to the point where, you know, I, I I preach in a robe, which is a whole nother, you know, thing that seems really off-putting at first to folks. Um, 
we have a pretty formalized confession of sin. We kneel, those sorts of things. But I think that's why it's so important to, one, train the congregation to engage in these things wholeheartedly, to really love what they're doing. You know, we've all seen the 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 Mr. Bean skit where he's kind of mumbling through the liturgy, you know, and everyone's kind of, you know, and everyone knows that kind of groaning, slow, like drone of, of worship done poorly. So if we're going to do these things, then to really embrace them as things we believe and, and act on them with conviction. So, you know, that was a really heavy emphasis at the beginning as far as getting the people to really love what they were doing. Um which is, again, what we found so refreshing about folks who are coming out of backgrounds like our own, is that if you can show them through Scripture the truth of these things, and then show them also the, the practical benefit of why, you know, doing things in a particular way uh, repetitively isn't necessarily, you know, the death of their spirituality, but may actually uh, be something that that saves them in the long run, that if we have a life that, you know, is, is a lifelong hearing and partaking of the gospel in word and sacrament, and it's a lifelong response to that repentance and faith, there are some times where you just don't feel as eager as you do at other times. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've used this illustration a lot of times at the congregation. I don't think on their deathbed, they're going to be recalling, you know, that one sermon I preached that was just such a home run that it's what, you know, kept them in the faith. They're going to remember the cumulative total of the reality of hearing, whether it be through the liturgy or through the preaching, Christ for sinners, uh, and then embracing that. And I think when we talk about how do we get people that represent our community into the church, it really does come from making the gospel and the gospel as good news, not just in theory, uh, but you know, that when it's preached as good news, it sounds like good news. It doesn't sound like a threat or, you know, <laughs> uh, it sounds like relief. Um, and when we have run into people who have rejected our, at least initially, they have a gut reaction and a rejection of the liturgy and the way we do things. When the gospel is preached clearly and faithfully, and when the table is received in a way where, you know, again, it really is a, a release to those who are guilty everybody wants grace in, in some sense, you know, they, they may not know it. And obviously we all, we all reject it as far as our human nature is concerned, but everyone does want to be let off of, of their madness. And there's only one way to do that. Christ may not be what they're looking for, but they would love to have a relief from a, a guilty conscience. Uh, and by the spirit's power through the word preached, obviously, you know, we, we believe sinners are saved in that manner, but also those who are coming from different backgrounds really do resonate. I mean, if they're if they're believers, but they're coming from a background that's not our own, there is something about Christ faithfully preached that really does draw them. But it has to be in language that's accessible to them. I think a lot of what the Reformed faith has is is the best there is to offer. Um, but I think sometimes it gets so freighted in kind of technical terms. We don't even understand. We don't even think they're technical. But if you say justification twenty times in one sermon, and people are coming from the outside that doesn't immediately translate into what we know uh, is all behind the word justification. So how can I say that in kind of fleshy, earthy terms that the person who's uninitiated will still hear it as good news, you know, Christ outside of me, for me, um, and, and in such a way, again, that they'll be attracted to it. 
and I think the part of the, the reality is I think why we some of us you know the, the three of us as we're talking like hey our, our congregations may be more representative of our community and more than that part of that is the beauty of church planting I mean changing a culture that exists is a whole lot harder than creating a culture and so you know the bottom line is there's a lot of lovely and wonderful OPCs uh, that are to me, you know, extremely edifying and everyone's in a suit and tie and there are no tattoos. And, you know, uh, for those listening, it's just Jonathan and Chris that are completely covered in tattoos. I'm completely unmarked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's been their, their, their culture. And to come in and say like, hey, you know, we need a more representative of the community, everyone loosen up, I think is an unfair thing to require of people. Uh, and in our congregation, you'll have people that still show up in a suit and tie, not many to Southern California, and a lot who, because they're coming from a different background, and in God's providence, they've been drawn to our church, they never figured out that that was a thing, if you will. While we will see usually people, you know, become a little more respectful and reverent toward the service, that won't initially, that won't, you know, always translate from flip-flops and shorts into three-piece suit. Sometimes it's like they put on closed-toed shoes and we feel like we've really, you know, uh, conquered something. But I think, again, yeah, preaching Christ faithfully, but in a way that can be heard. Uh, and, you know, Jesus isn't just the truth. He, you know, Christ is altogether lovely. And the way we communicate him should try to reflect that. And I think what I love about the OP and what I learned early on is that people that I thought were stodgy and kind of out of touch, they love the gospel because they love Christ. And if you do that faithfully, those people will stay and remain, and so will the guy down the road who, you know, uh, has a testimony, you know, like uh, that we see on uh, at youth camp in the evangelical churches. Thanks, guys, for taking the time to do that. So we appreciate your time. Pray that the Lord will bless your ministry, but thanks for your time today. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much for having us. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.